All right, good morning, Rock Prairie Church. Uh, as Mike already alluded to, my name is Joyce Morgan. Really happy to be here to share this, the message with you today. Um, it's a privilege to, to really be here with you guys and to have the invitation from Pastor Mike. Um, really want to take time to just think about this um, and praise God for such a privilege to be here with fellow brothers and sisters, um, you know, never met, uh, but also with the same goal of glorifying God. How beautiful that is. Um, even thinking right now, my home church is assembling as well uh, to worship, and um, that's just the faithfulness of God uh, in creating and building His church. Um, so we're just so thankful for that. Um, thank you for uh, everybody being so kind to me today and, uh, and showing up, you know, somebody new and uh, giving the message. It's always uh, unique that way. So thank you guys. Um, today, as always, we're going to open up the Bible to study God's revealed word with us. The passage uh, that we're going to focus on is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. Um, so feel free to open your Bibles, turn on your devices, and I will be with you uh, to, to look at the passage in just a minute. Um, you know, uh, if, if you were maybe late uh, coming in today, uh, you might be thinking, uh, who the heck is this handsome guy up here? Um, you know, uh, fair question. Um, you know, I just come from a small church plant um, I, about five hours west of here in Rock Island, Illinois. Uh, right off the Mississippi River, and uh, basically my current pastor planted there, and uh, that was about a uh, year, year, year and a half prior to, to COVID. So uh, as you can imagine, a uh, lot of uh, unique experiences and, uh, and changes for such a young church. Um, but what I would say, uh, evidently, uh, the Lord has been very faithful to us. Um, that's, that's one thing that I would say as well while I'm here. Uh, just um, if you think about it, continue to pray for our church as well, Rock Island Bible Church. Um, just we're going through um, decisions of uh, hopefully making a purchase of a church and things like that. So uh, just praise God for that and uh, just keep us in your thoughts and prayers that way. Um, Mike and I, uh, we met um, prior to uh, where I'm at now in, in that transition. Um, I met him about, like, say, five years ago at the previous church where he worked, um, and I was a new believer, um, and I had many questions, right? I uh, didn't grow up in the church, um, so I had a lot to learn, and uh, the, the pastor there put me in contact with Mike, and he answered um, a lot of questions, probably much more than he would like. Uh, but that really just shows kind of the heart that he has. Um, and as I was looking back and really considering my friendship with Mike, uh, once I met him, really three things that stood out. Um, one being he loved Jesus. Uh, two, he loved people. And three, he, he truly loved God's word. And uh, I know that's true of him today as well. And th really, these are things that make... Um, faithful followers of God. And so w when we're looking at the text today, one of my goals is, is to really show some characteristics of God's people uh, that, that he wants us to have. So my prayer is that uh, Paul's words to Timothy will be encouraging to you as well. 
Um, let's look at the passage today. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. Uh, again, Paul's, Paul's uh, writing, and he says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an approachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him, be honored in eternal dominion. Amen. Uh, just let's do some quick context before we get too far. First Timothy, uh, obviously written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a younger co-worker in the faith. Uh, Timothy held an influential role in the oversight of the church of Ephesus. And really this letter was written as a rebuke to false teaching that was creeping its way into and tainting the church of Ephesus. Most notably, like what are we talking about? Well, there was a lot of speculation regarding the law, a call for extreme self-discipline, and what was uh, really growing within the, the church there was greed, arrogance, discontentment, and ultimately, the lives were really void of the gospel. Paul's letter to Timothy is a charge in order for him to purify the church. The letter, obviously, is a, it's a pastoral epistle it's go, because it addresses Timothy rather than the church. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, wouldn't this text be better fit, maybe a, a pastoral conference? No, you don't check out it's too early. It doesn't only apply to pastors. Why? Well, all of us are called to be ministers of the gospel. So therefore, Paul's words actually pertain to us as well. Like Timothy, you are charged with a lifelong commitment to the gospel. The first thing that Paul charges God's people, flee death, pursue life. We see this in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Hey, first off, what a great description. O man of God, a woman of God. That's what he calls Timothy. Paul tells Timothy clearly, as a man of God, flee from death. The fleeing that we're looking at here really in context concerns the false teaching by those that, chapter 6, verses 10 through, or 2 through 10, uh, outlines depraved in mind and deprived of truth. They also uh, 
references those that imagine godliness as a means of gain. Why is this so important? Why, why am I going to be so aligned with truth and the importance of that? For one, wicked, untruthful ideas, they're going to produce rotten fruit. For example, um, if you're uh, under teaching that is irreverent and uh, devout of truth, what will result will be the fruit of arrogance and wickedness. That means for us that what we actually think about God matters, matters significantly. Our doctrine, which is our beliefs or affirmations about the Lord, have a significant impact because wrong beliefs lead to death. For us today, it's very extreme, it's very important to hear this because we live in an information age. Just a few taps on our phones and we're overwhelmed with information. The problem though, while information is great, the overwhelming majority of it that we're so accessible lacks biblical reasoning. We are actually bombarded with what is false. The world's wisdom is death. It cannot actually provide the life-giving truth we need. Some common sayings of the world, seek your own happiness, seek what you desire, follow your heart. Uh, there's really no universal truth. So they may say, what is true for you may not be true for me. The world also says, prosperous, prosperous, those lives are happy lives. This wisdom, death. But God, he has life-giving truth. For one, God calls us to be holy as he is holy. God is actually concerned more with our holiness than our perceived happiness. God's word is what is the source for truth. We seek him. All scripture is God-breathed. God is also not a tool for prosperity. The Christian faith actually is a long, lift, long life death of self. Our prize is Christ. So, some individuals within the Ephesian church, they were planting speculation, division, by having false teaching. We actually see this today as well. But Paul is directly rebuking this and calls Timothy to flee from what is untrue. Notice that the word that he uses is flee. He doesn't say avoid. He doesn't say reject. It's flee. Why? It provides a great deal of emphasis. It is intentional. The command that, that we're having here is uh, more like completely distance yourself from it. Have nothing to do with such things. We know this also to be true in our daily lives. For example, think of like an extreme dangerous situation. What is the proper response? Well, fleeing, right? Flight. Say, uh, if a, flight, uh, a, a fire broke out right here, 
Will we just sit around, grab some hot dogs, and cook some s'mores? <laughs> no. I mean, I'd hope not. I mean, if that's, that's what we're going to do, I'm probably not coming back, all right? Uh, we got to evacuate. we got to get out of here, all right? It's quick. Um, and, and same thing. This is, this is that idea. There is danger. Get away from it. And as I was kind of thinking about the message here and, and um, just some things that were coming to mind, um, I like movies, and, and some of those movies are war movies. Uh, and one of those that I was uh, thinking about would be Black Hawk Down. Uh, if you haven't ever seen that movie, uh, I'll just kind of summarize it real quickly. The movie basically uh, details the U.S. Special Forces, and they're on a mission where the soldiers are sent uh, into Somalia, and they're basically trying to destabilize um, the, uh, the rebel uh, force that way, and then also to provide some food and humanitarian aid to the starving population. Um, the situation was extremely dangerous. Uh, really, the problem of the movie uh, began when there were two uh, Black Hawk hel helicopters um, flying into the city, and they were shot down by the rebels. So uh, just for imagining purposes, uh, you're in a helicopter, it's within the middle of the city, it's mangled, it's inoperable, you're not going to get it back off the ground, and what are you surrounded with? Well, the rebels, they have RPGs, AK-47s, and 50 caliber machine guns. Really? What are your thoughts? It's dire. The situation really becomes life or death. Your option, you can stay in the helicopter or you can leave. For them, fleeing was the only option. That's the only thing they could do. Similarly, God's people are commanded to flee from what is false. That's going to be, include what we listen to, what we read, what we watch, all the things that we consume on a daily basis. There are real dangers in what we consume. The dangers, though, that we face as Bible-confessing Christians don't come in obvious ways. They don't, they don't come in smoke and, and heat like fire. Uh, they don't come as enemy gunfire sounds and, and things like that. They come much more beautifully packaged and deceptive. But Matthew 24, 24 is a warning to us. Jesus tells us, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead people astray, if possible, even the elect. See? It's very deceptive. It's not going to come in and, and, and be something that we're aware of, but we're still responsible for fleeing from death. So, how, does, how do these things impact the church? Just a, a few examples, just to give you an idea. Um, some things that are practiced in the church would be the idea of moralistic deism. Uh, this is really just behavior modification. Uh, do this, don't do that. Do better. This would be the modern Pharisee. They believe that you can earn your salvation in how you live. Another idea would be more of a materialistic understanding, um, what would also be called the prosperity gospel. 
God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous in all things. Uh, sometimes it sounds like live your best life now. Um, another idea would be um, more of denying Jesus' identity as God. So Jesus is not God. He's only a good, wise man. The problem there, though, Jesus himself said he was God in John, John 8, 58. Uh, he references uh, himself as I am. He also did things like calming the seas, cursed a tree, healed the lame, raised the dead. All things that pointed to his divinity. Um, some churches suffer by allowing and embracing sin. Um, the idea that the Bible's commands are all outdated. So we're going to pick and choose what we abide by. Um, the idea that, uh, yes, God commands us not to do certain things, but how can it be bad if it doesn't harm anyone? Or the idea that no one is perfect, so what do we have to really worry about? Sin really has become a virtue for our culture today, and it influences the church. Lastly, I think we all probably have moments in this when we have a created ideal of God, really making God into the image that we want. By definition, though, this would be idolatry. These things aren't new. Lying, false teaching shouldn't surprise us. Maybe another one. I got, I got one for this. Maybe this will be more familiar to you. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This lie started the death that we see. This is from Satan. Don't think that the things that we hear and that we face are insignificant. They are significant. So I urge you to flee, but beyond that, I urge you to flee urgently. From death. To do it urgently is to do it without delay or looking back, not questioning. I urge you to have nothing to do with things that are contrary to God's word. In an effort to do this, what does that mean? Well, you have to understand God's word, you have to study it, you have to put in the time, the effort to read it, to learn it, you have to be humble enough to accept it, to receive it as God's word, his good word for us, all of it. Um, also, guarding yourself. Remove what isn't true from your consumption. Even removing what's bad for you, harmful, impacts your faith. Even if we enjoy it. Even if we become dependent on it. I know it's not easy. I know it's a hard task. I know that it also will require loss. Ask yourself, though, is whatever I am asked to be giving up, is it worth more than growing my relationship with Christ? Unequivocally, no. Nothing will be. So we have to flee from it, and we're not fleeing aimlessly. That's not what the intention is. Um, say uh, you're at a zoo and tiger gets loose, okay? Um, you're being chased. 
you got to get away, all right? You're not going to run around in circles. It's a terrible plan, all right? Don't ever do that. Guaranteed you're going to get eaten. Be a snack. It's a bad idea. Don't do it. But, you know, as dumb as that sounds, we'll do this with our faith. We'll think about it, all right? So um, maybe we find something to become true. We're convicted of something. Uh, but then time, you know, time will go on. We'll find ourselves right back in that place. What are we doing? We're running in circles away from death. I do this myself, right? One thing I think we all have to go through is, um, especially if you're a control-oriented person, you got to relinquish that control to God, right? And you're like, I'm committing this. I know God. Your ways are higher than mine, and I trust you in this. All good things. Great. But one thing changes in your life. Situation changes. Then what? I know for myself, I'm going to white-knuckle it. I'm going to try to regain control. I'm going to fight what God's doing. I'm just make just turning circles. What we actually need, though, is to run towards something. We flee with urgency from death in pursuit of life. Paul tells Timothy to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Flee what is harmful in order to pursue what is good, what is life-giving. So, so when we look at that list, um, not an, ex- an exhaustive list, but a good list indeed. So let's just take a look at them. Righteousness. What is righteousness? Um, really, in this sense, we're looking at morally right behavior towards others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Godliness. Having reverence toward God. Fear the Lord. Be reverent in submission to him. Love. Again, this is... Uh, probably maybe somebody you, some of you have um, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 uh, verses 4 through 8 on your wall, right? And it's, it's the love passage. Um, tells us to practice patience, kindness, humility, be accommodating, forgiving, rejoice in truth, bear, believe, hope, and endure all things, right? That's love. What about steadfastness? Enduring perseverance. Uh, I, th- I think one of the... Um, Verses that, that really, I think, hits home in this one is 1 Corinthians 15, um, and then it's verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Enduring perseverance. Gentleness. Polite and restrained behavior towards others. It's not weakness. But showing honor, being loving, be gentle. One of the things that I pray for is that these traits that Paul describes uh, will be a mark of this church. But if that's the goal, you have to be entirely dependent on God for this. Those good, praiseworthy traits are produced from true, fruit-bearing words found in Scripture. So I have to tell you, you you got to become rooted in God's word. Pursue life. Become more clearly the person that God has called you to be. One thing's for me, I, I, I might sound like a broken record if, if 
I feel like I get this in every time I do a sermon. Um, I can't overemphasize this one. Commit yourself to reading a Bible plan. Um, get a study Bible. Those are two things that I think will really, really impact the way uh, that you read God's Word and, um, and grow in faith that way. Uh, Crossway has an ESV study Bible. It's been one of the, one of the larger tools that has um, had a great impact on my biblical growth. So it's one thing that I continuously recommend. Um, again, there, there is no supplement for, for God's Word that way. Um, but then, you know, beyond that, uh, again, we're, we're, we're living in an age where um, we're flooded with um, media and, and everything like that. Um, some other secondary sources that I would say, podcasts. Um, you know, John Piper has a great podcast. There's video on YouTube by the Gospel Project that will um, outline kind of summaries of the books of the Bible and help um, grow in understanding that way. Uh, if you um, haven't heard, there's um, a resource called Right Now Media, and they have online studies, and you can do that as a family or as groups that way. Um, great things that way, great, great tools to use. Um, Christian books, uh, I was never a book reader, uh, wasn't a big fan of school. Um, quite honestly, I don't think I really read a book on my own till at least high school. So uh, as you go to seminary, you're learning. You've you got to read all the time. Um, some books that really I would recommend, um, if you haven't heard of it, Gentle and Lowly. That one's written by Dane Ortland. That's a great book. Um, Devotional, New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. Uh, Pleasures Evermore is just a book by Sam Storms as well. Um, if you have any interest, uh, meet me after service, and I can kind of help you with that as well to, to remind you of those. Um, the one thing that I would say, uh, if, you, if you've, maybe you've started a Bible reading plan for this year, we always generally start one at the beginning of the year. Um, maybe you're a little bit behind. Uh, no shame in that. Just pick it back up. Um, but if you're like, ah, Jonas, I don't have enough time. All right. Maybe. All right. Let me see your phone. I'm going to take a look at your screen calculator. Uh, and then I'm going to find out uh, if I can find you some time. Highly likely, I think I can. Uh, I know I'm guilty of that as well, so uh, I, I trust that there there might be some 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 areas where we could we could find. But uh, like I say, it, it's really for uh, your own benefit that way, um, your understanding and growing your faith that way. As you grow in knowledge of the Word, um, y your faith is going to mature and further develop the characteristics in your life that Paul has commanded us to pursue. Um, to continue, though, with our passage, uh, again, Paul just charged God's people to flee death, pursue life. The next thing he charges us to do is to fight the good fight of the faith. Um, I find that in verse 12. I'm going to read this with you. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Um, notice that there's no vagueness in Paul here, we are reminded that being faithful to God is a constant fight. Once you were saved by grace through faith, you were entered into a fight, whether you know it or not. Your opponents, what are they? Um, you have an enemy that wants to devour you, you have a world that hates you, and you have 
sin-dwelling flesh that battles you each day. Fight, though, not past tense. It's not a fight that you can win and then you're going to go on your merry way. It's going to be a continuous struggle. One against Satan, one against the world, and one against your own flesh. Fighting is not going to be easy, nor will you win every moment. The way I look at it is a boxing match. So if you picture the boxing match, um, two fighters, they get in a ring, they're going to go head-to-head. Um, most matches are 12 rounds, uh, and then each round is three minutes long. Uh, it's a really long, brutal time. Um, they're going to exchange blows. Fighters are, the whole time, they're reading their opponents. They watch each mo- movement that they have, and then they're going to learn to either attack or defend. To do so takes a lot of wisdom, takes a lot of dedication. Then there's also the preparation. The preparation is crucial. All their training prior to the fight comes into play uh, because it allows them to continue to move, continue to throw punches. As their heart rates race, every punch that they give draws from their energy. Exhaustion sets in. Even just holding their hands to protect their faces uh, is just going to be a burning, exhausting fight. Really, it becomes like torture. They're punched. They're trying to defend, trying to attack. But they have to persevere each moment, each painful minute. How? Why do they do that? Why do they keep going on? It's brutal. Well, their perseverance is really rooted in the reward. The last round, round 12, last minutes, every part of their body is aching. Seconds feel like hours. What keeps them in the fight? The prize that awaits them. Once the fight is over, there's a reward available. So they keep fighting. Fighting the good fight of the faith is to continuously battle a brutal one against sin. At times, that's going to feel extremely exhausting, unending. I even look into Paul's words from Romans 7. He says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He continues, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I think you probably know that as well. In times we continue to sin even though we don't want to. It just dwells within us. But what good news is it? Yeah. While we're wretched, there is one that delivers us from that. Praise Jesus for that. If you've been a Christian for more than like five minutes, you'll know that it's not an easy fight. You will fall. You will fail. I do too. I'm, I'm there with you. More than I'd like to admit, right? Uh, if you, know, you doubt that, ask my fiance. She'll tell you, I got my own problems, all right? 
Um, like boxing, though, this fight requires some things. You've got to read your opponent. So be alert. Get to know your enemy and your sinful weakness. Prepare. How do we prepare for the fight? For us, gathering for worship, praying, studying God's word, fasting, serving alongside others, and um, maybe, maybe sometimes most importantly, focusing on the reward. You know, there are times where the fight, again, seems too much. So maybe you've asked yourself, why should I even continue? Why do I keep coming? Maybe even showing up to church is a challenge. Maybe today you're even thinking, Jonas, if you only knew my battles, if you just had a small glimpse into what I face, I get that. All right? I understand those feelings. I've been there. Trust me. I understand. You know, maybe the cry of your heart is, Lord, this is too much for me. Sure. I think that's actually the point. The fight is too much for us. We know that there remains an unfathomable reward following the bell of the twelfth round in the fight, though. The reward is Christ, eternal life with him. Following this, we will spend all of eternity in rest with our Lord. No more fighting, no more sin, no more wrestling. What good news that is. Jesus, the promise of eternal life, that's our motivation to continue in the fight. I have to say, our momentary afflictions, they'll never compare to what is promised in Christ. Our great hope, our great promise, Jesus, he will continuously be the reward that keeps us going. Even when, that fighting, when the fight to continue on seems daunting, and even when you seem like you're losing, I promise that Christ is abundantly worth it. You live for eternity. Again, Paul wrote, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy was called by God to eternal life, and then he confessed his salvation in Christ before others. This is uh, Paul reminding him of this. This would be similar to Paul saying, Timothy, remember that God called you to himself. Remember that you profess Christ as your Lord, as your Savior. Remember these things and then hold fast to them. Again, we are in a cosmic fight, Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Honestly, I, I don't think we even really understand or grasp the full weight of that. But the beautiful part, that the victory... It's already been won. Jesus has already defeated death. Once and forever, always, Jesus has done it. Some good encouragement. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, 
and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So, when you feel like you're at your end, you feel like you cannot continue another day fighting the good fight of the faith, then what? When you're exhausted for days, you're prayerless, when maybe you're consistently praying, yet you don't see an answer, when the grip of sin overwhelms you and you feel like a failure, when you don't see relief coming any, any, anytime soon, maybe fear, anxiety consume your thoughts, when maybe everything that you've planned is gone, what do you do? You know, I've found myself in situations like this as well. They feel like defeat. Have you ever experienced them? What keeps you going? This good fight, it's going to wear on you. Probably much more than you'd like. But you have great encouragement to fight the good fight of the faith. You have the absolute assurance that Jesus has done what you could not do for yourself. It's his righteousness, his sacrifice that purchased your salvation. Jesus will not abandon you because he lives in you. You're forgiven and he lives with you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Sure, we're going to get overwhelmed if we're going to feel defeated. I can almost guarantee that Timothy felt that as well. He's probably thinking, thanks, Paul. You've left me, left me to oversee this church. A whole bunch of knuckleheads here. They're coming in. They're teaching all this nonsense. We've labored long hours over these people, and they're corrupted quickly falling away from what we've taught them. Honestly, if I'm Timothy, I'm thinking the same things. I'm thinking, nope, no way. I'm out. You're all going to be on your own. I'm just a young guy here. I have no help. Cannot fix all these problems. It's just too much. But what does Paul do? Thankfully, Paul is uh, much more mature and faithful than me. Um, he encourages Timothy, reminds him of his eternal reward. Timothy, you have been redeemed Remember, all of God's promises are true. Your eternal reward is ahead. Reflection on what we have in Christ should become a daily practice of ourselves. We have to preach these things to ourselves each day. Another thing we should practice, sharing our testimonies. Um, again, when it says, which you made the good confession, the presence of many witnesses, relating to the testimony that we've given testimonies really are reminders of Lord's, the Lord's faithful work in the lives of his people. How encouraging is it to recall how broken, dirty, and helpless we once were, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. 
So if you're anything like me, maybe baptisms uh, or some of your favorite services. Again, as uh, the announcement, we have baptism coming up uh, here. But they're, they're amazing because they're testimonies, right? It shows, again, what God is doing in his people. How, um, how amazing that is that uh, he's so faithful and continues to work uh, in our lives. When was, again, the last time you shared your testimony? Got some homework for you. Um, I'm actually, I teach classes uh, and things like that. So what, what good would I do if I didn't give you homework, right? Um, what I want you to do is I want you to write out your testimony on a sheet of paper this week. Write how you lived before you knew Christ. Write God's work of grace in your life. Write ways that Jesus has and is changing your life as your Lord and Savior. Then, probably the hard part, think of one person that you can tell your testimony to. But also commit to telling them. That's going to be a good help for you as well as that person. Maybe they don't even know Jesus. Imagine that. Telling them how he has worked in your life, that you weren't a perfect person, that you aren't still a perfect person, but he's so faithful and loving that way. And then, maybe if you haven't been baptized, speak with a leader about it. What a perfect opportunity. Take advantage of that. All right. Know that every follower of Jesus has a personal story within God's larger story of redemption. How cool is that? You have a story in God's fuller story of redemption. That's something to be shared. It has meaning. It's beautiful. Okay, let's return back to the passage. Uh, again, uh, Paul charged the people of God to flee evil, pursue life, flee death, pursue life, fight the good fight of the faith. Now he says, keep the commandment unstained. We look at verses 13 through 16. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. The intensity really gets turned up here. In the presence of the Father and the Son, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach all the way until Christ returns. This is the command. Maybe I can say it this way. Maybe this will be easier. Maintain the purity of Scripture and live in a way that will not bring any accusation towards it. So, be truthful, speak truth, and then live abiding in that truth. Not because the presence of any man, not, not because of any pastor or uh, anyone that way, but in the presence of the one that actually gave you your life. 
although that's not even enough. Paul adds, he says, um, essentially, Timothy, also in the presence of Jesus, I charge you with this. Jesus, Lord and Savior, remember, um, while being fully aware and what was to come, he faithfully stood, stood before Pontius Pilate and gave his testimony. Never wavered, never compromised, all the way unto his death. That's our example. That's how we're supposed to follow. Paul, again, is charging Timothy with faithfulness. In the presence of the Father and the Son, be faithful till the end. Always keep the commandment unstained. The commandment, right? What does that mean? Really? That's the entirety of Scripture from Genesis until Revelation. Uh, I think Second Tim- Timothy 3, 16 through 17 helps us with this. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is God's words revealed. All of his people are to receive the entirety of it. God's word must rightfully and faithfully be proclaimed entirely. Scripture is perfect. There's nothing that needs to be added to or taken away from it. It's a living and active, and it will last for all generations. One thing that uh, I have a lot of confidence in God's word uh, comes from Isaiah 40, uh, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. To ensure that all of Scripture is being taught, as well as sought, accurately, is to keep the commandment unstained. Next, though, keeping the commandment free from reproach. That, that's going beyond... Um, making sure that Scripture is true, it's it's, uh, how we're going to apply God's Word to our lives. Meaning, how do you live after you hear or read Scripture? Your life has to be consistent with the message of the Bible. Quick example, right? We all probably know here that we're told to love our neighbors. All right? Just yesterday, okay? Five hours in, uh, probably about four hours into the drive, I'm on my way here. Um, you drive on the interstate, speed limit, 65. All right, car on the, on the, on the right lane, probably driving 62. Uh, car in the, the passing lane, again, passing lane, uh, drive 64. What are we doing? All right, like, it just makes me mad. I, I don't, I don't want to curse this guy, but I'm, it's, it's testing me, all right? Uh, I know that I'm supposed to love even this guy, um, but it's making it challenging. Um, so what would it, what would it mean to, to me if I lose my mind? Um, it's a disconnect, right? What Scripture says is not um, being, being applied to my life. Um, word of advice, don't be that car, please. You know, I would say, quick saying, practice what you preach. You probably heard that, right? Um, that's a daily thing. Really, there's not much more damaging to your witness than when you speak one thing and live completely different, right? Um, 
That is hypocrisy to the fullest. If I say one thing and I, I, ha I project this image, uh, but then uh, maybe, maybe people know, maybe people don't know, but I live co completely contrary to that. Um, how am I making Jesus look in that, that way? Um, we have to apply what we know, what we learn to our lives. And one thing that I think we also have to do uh, in mind of that is to remember that Jesus is coming back, right? And, and when we think that, when we consider that, how do we live? Are we going to be ready? Are we going to be ready for his return? Luke 12 uh, is, is Jesus using a parable returning his retur or regarding his return. Um, and basically, he's commending some men that are dressed for action. Um, what do they do? They have uh, lamps burning, and uh, they're awaiting the return of their master. Uh, they're awake, they're ready at any hour. Uh, Jesus actually says that they are blessed. Then he concludes by saying, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We know he's coming to return. We praise it. We, we call for that. Come soon, Lord. But we don't know when. So are you ready for that return? Are you living in light of the whole commandment, all of Scripture? Not picking, not choosing, selecting what you want to accept or reject. That's the call. That's what, what, what Paul wants for us. We are called to live distinctly different than the world. That's to be holy. Strive for purity and practice sincere devotion to the Lord. Be a reflection of Jesus to the watching world. It's a great responsibility to be holy for I'm holy. I feel that weight right along with you. But we can't be faithful in that because our God is indeed faithful. Seeking biblical teaching, speaking rightly about God, living holy lives, essentially practicing what we preach, that is how we can keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. How can you live those things out? How can you make sure that those things are happening? Well, one thing that I'd recommend uh, comes from the church. That's where it comes in. Uh, you need mature, loving brothers and sisters that can hold you accountable. They are also able to see your blind spots and tell you where you fall short. Are you a person that seeks out those relationships? It's a question. Do you listen when they expose something in you? Could be what you think, how you're living. And I mean, do you really listen? Right? That's not having the appearance of listening and then um, just going on your way. Or, I mean, sometimes it can be challenging. Right? If somebody calls me out, Takes me a minute. I need to. I need to process. Um, but you have to be humble enough to receive what is being said. It's actually um, it's it's to be loving. Like God's God's grace is for you to uh, change in these areas and become more like Jesus. So the church, those that you can uh, trust and ask to assess you, it's great maturity. Take advantage of that. Um, Paul then provides Timothy all the assurance needed to receive these instructions. Again, verse 15, which he will display at the proper time, God. Um, he who is blessed 
and only the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. What unshakable confidence we have being in relationship with our Lord. He alone is sovereign. He truly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is eternal. There is no beginning, no end to him. He is perfectly holy. So holy that if we were to see him in his full glory, in our sinful state, we would be completely consumed. What can compare to him? Chapter 40, verse 18 of Isaiah. To who, whom then will you liken God? What likeness can compare to him? Just think on that. Reflect on that for a moment. Who can be like God? What can compare to him? Obvious answer, nothing. So, the opposition that we face, can it compare to God? No. Nothing compares to him. He is the one true God. All honor, dominion are his for all eternity. We have the absolute assurance that everything is subject to him. He is sovereign. Praise him for his sovereignty. Praise him for his mercy. Praise him for his steadfast love and for his eternal beauty. What fear, reluctance can remain if we know these things, if we know them to be true? How can we be afraid? How can we resist? How can we not seek him? He's so good and loving and faithful that way. We are charged to flee death and pursue life, to fight the good fight of the faith, and to keep the commandment unstained. Admittedly, those are weighty tasks, and the opposition will be immense. However, no opposition can compare to the Lord. The God Almighty, He goes before us. He is our rear guard. He is our salvation. You only need to trust Him. What good news is that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for being here, fellow brothers and sisters. Thank you for um, yeah, just being able to share your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness, your grace. Yeah, thank you for your providence. I ask that you continue to work in and through us so that we become more like Jesus. Please help us in our flight, in our pursuit, and in keeping the commandment unstained to fight the good fight of the faith. We depend on you, Lord. Thank you for all that you have done and will continue to do. Help us to seek and to trust you each day. Help us to love you more. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.